Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists speaking the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode four of the Locust and Honey podcast. Join us as we discuss Burger King worship versus biblical worship. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do that by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing so that you don't miss any future episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Locust and Honey. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Welcome, everybody. Hey, everybody. My name is Matt. My name is Andrew, and we have got an exciting episode that is near and dear to my heart. Not everybody's heart. Well, yeah, everyone's heart, including mine, especially including mine. <laughs> what are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be talking about worship. We're going to be talking about different principles of worship and right, what the I Bible saw, has uh, to say. I heard when you were given the intro, you said Burger King worship versus biblical. So this is like people that love Burger King. Exactly. Um, what do we mean by that? So Burger King has the slogan of have it your way, right? Oh, Do they still have that catchy. slogan? Yeah, I see where you're going with this. So we can either have it our way or we can have it God's way. We'll get into a little, little bit more into that a little later. All right. Because there's some hot topics as to what God's way is. Did you uh, ever shop at Hot Topics? No. Never? No. That's not your style? No, that's not my thing. In fact, wore, I don't even hardly remember that store. You never wore I think they still have it. I think I had to go in there a couple of times growing up because Tiffany dragged me in there. So my wife is a Hot Topics girl. We used to be. What would she get from there? I have no idea. I was like seven. Man, we're going to have to have a talk when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, before we get started into our podcast today, Andrew, what are you into right now? Well, I'm into other podcasts. <laughs> okay. So there's one that you just introduced me to recently called Pastor's Talk, done by Nine Marks, Jonathan yeah. Lehman, Mark Dever. Yeah. And that's been really helpful in the past couple of days. I don't know. I've just been diving into it and they got a really got a lot of really cool topics. So cool. Pastor's talk. Also into baseball again, because we got the wild card game tonight between the Yankees and the Red Sox. And that's gonna be exciting. But I don't know if I'll watch it. But I'll definitely look at the highlights. So Yeah. But yeah, that's what I'm into right now. Oh, also I'm into Ephesians because I've got my first lesson coming up as a college leader. So Awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. I love uh, the book of Ephesians and teaching through it. Very helpful. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for it. It'll be interesting because I used to do that in college, teach college students as I did myself. But back then it was, <laughs> they were my peers. <laughs> right. So it's kind of a different dynamic, which is always an adjustment. So yeah, that'll be good. So what are you into? Yeah, so right now I am into road tripping. Road um, tripping. Yeah, so we got next week is fall break for the kids. And one thing that we really like to do as a family is go on road trips. And so my wife and I have been planning a road trip for fall break. I think we're going to take the boys up to Kentucky to Noah's Ark Museum. And then be cool. we're going to do the Creation Museum as well. So for them, I think they'll 
Love it. Yeah. Hey, and if you pass by Louisville, Louisville, you go in the Louisville Slugger Museum too. There you go. I don't know what part of Kentucky this is in, I don't know but I know it's pretty far from where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Uh, the boys love going on road trips. We stop at Bucky's. Have you ever been to Bucky's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bucky's is like the mecca of gas stations. I guess they're from Texas. So there's like a hundred gas pumps, and when you walk bathroom in, bathroom stalls. Hundred bathroom stalls. Uh, Bucky's is the only place that you can buy a deer feeder and a super stylish purse and beef jerky and gas, gas <laughs> and and all kinds get, of Bucky PJs. You can get you can get Bucky T-shirts, Bucky PJs, yeah, Bucky buckets, Bucky. Um, so we have a Bucky's here though, and they like to stop by Bucky's on the way out to start the road trip. So when we're at Bucky's, we know that we are in road trip mode. Nice. Yeah, that'd be fun. Once everybody falls asleep, then I'll throw in some of my podcasts and uh, and cruise, and it'll be a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into Burger King worship. Burger King worship versus biblical worship. Yeah, I think it's so, a really good topic. Uh, something I'm excited to talk about today. I think there's a need for understanding what worship is and then how to biblically and practically apply that when the saints meet on the Lord's day. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about it. Um, one of our previous episodes about Isaiah six, um, where he stands before the throne of God and he's completely undone. He's completely in awe of the holiness of God, the majesty of God. And he realizes that he is a sinner before the throne of God. And so we talked about how important that is in as far as the American church and the reformation of the American church and engaging with the culture. So worship is essential, really, as far as the functioning of the church goes and kind of how the church thrives in the culture and engages with the culture. Right. I don't remember which episode it was, but I was talking about the two tables of the law. Mm -hmm. First table, how we worship God. Second table, how we love and deal with one another. And if we're not doing the first part right, then we can't fulfill the other six. So greatest commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and lays out kind of how to go about doing that. Other six commandments, how we deal and relate to one another. And if we have the first part off, then we can't focus on the other part. And so it's kind of what we want to talk about today. How do we get the first part right? So with that, let's give a definition to worship. Worship's one of those words that it's a biblical word. Everybody uses it, but... If you have people define it, a lot of people have trouble doing that. It's like faith. Yeah. You want me to give my definition? You want me to give mine? Oh, I think they're pretty similar. Did you steal mine? I tried not to. (laughs) (laughs) What you got? Um, (laughs) Okay. So any action that brings, and then this is where I added my part, a sweet smelling aroma or glory to the Lord. So you redefine glory. I have. I have. No. But I have reached into the Old Testament and said, hey, Sweet-smelling aroma, glory, these things can relate. There you go. Yeah, no, I agree. So the definition I've got, the actions we take to glorify God, those are pretty similar. <laughs> I feel copyright violation. <laughs> At least I cited my sources. My, my definition kidding. originated with Matt's brain. So My definition well, originated with me trying to explain what worship is to seventh graders. So It's a good place to start. Yeah. So the actions that we take, the things that we do, the verbs that we do to bring glory to God is how we're defining worship. 
So how should we worship in the corporate context? Yeah, that so is... So what is meant by corporate context? Corporate context, the gathering of the saints, or so layman's like when we, terms, when we church go, services. When we go to the church building? Yes. What is the church? Well, the church is the bride of Christ. Oh, so it's not a building. Correct. So when the church gathers to worship the Lord on Sunday, as we should... Right. Because he's commanded that in the first table. Right. So when we do that, what should that look like? What should worship look like corporately? Well, that is the question of the day. That's true. So there's been a couple, like if you look back in church history, there's been a couple different principles that drive how the church should worship the Lord. Right. What are some of those? Yes, I have found three. Thrice. Thrice. The first one is the regulative principle, which is the idea that God has laid out how he wants to be worshiped through his word, and then we adhere to it in corporate worship. Okay, so what God has required is acceptable in worship. Right, right. and God has laid it out for us. Okay. Yeah. And that's the regulative principle? Correct. So you're basically saying God has regulated how he desires to be worshiped? Right. Okay. And then there's the normative principle, and the normative... Is it normative or nominative? Oh, I don't know. It could be nominative. We can call it Norman. Normative. Normative. Shout out to my grandpa. Name's Norman. Okay, it says... That the nominative principle, the not, yeah. All right, what's it say? <laughs> it says that whatever is not forbidden in scripture as it pertains to worship is permissible. Okay, so with the nominative principle, you've got it's permitted unless scripture specifically forbids it, right? And then the regulative, what God has required is permitted because He's required, it. right? And nothing else. Right. Okay. Regulative is saying that God has laid it out himself in scripture of how he wants to be worshipped. And then normative, nominative, (laughs) is saying that essentially we are to use our discretion as far as what is forbidden or not forbidden. Well, like, okay, so if if it's not forbidden in scripture, then we are to use our discretion as far as whether or not we ought to do it. Okay. Right. So the third. Now the third, the experiential principle, Mm. is the idea that worship is about an experience with the divine and any means necessary to achieve it is permissible. That just sounds like a hot mess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So worship is an experience of the divine and whatever you can do to have that experience is permissible? Correct. Well, that's, yeah, that's what it says. (laughs) Right. That's the principle. Yeah. Okay. So regulative principle God's word decides what is acceptable because he's the one regulating. A nominative principle, the church and the culture decide what is acceptable. And then experiential, the individual decides what is acceptable. Mm -hmm. Is that how we break those down? Yeah. All right. Which of these principles is the best principle in which the church should worship the Lord on the Lord's day? Well, I think the regulative principle. Why not the experiential? There's scripture that tells a story of that. I mean, really, when you think about the Israelites and the prophets of Baal, and you think about, like, even the golden calf, that, I mean, they w- they want to see something, right? They want to experience something um, to give them, I guess, reassurance of their faith in whatever that is. So, right. and, and then what ended up happening was every time the Israelites went down and worshipped Baal, they were obviously in sin for that. They were just for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times they were taken over by other countries and stuff for that. So, because it's not worshipping the Lord anymore, it's worshipping the experience at right. that point. Well, really, it's a, a form of self-worship. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? It, yeah. I'm going to... Essentially, I'm, I'm gathering on the Lord's day to make myself feel good, 
I'm worshiping myself. Mm -hmm. The actions that I'm taking are not to glorify God, but to ultimately glorify me in the way that I feel. Right. And at the end of the day too, that's so malleable that you can then justify anything by that. Right. You know, which is Mm -hmm. what Rome was doing in the day of Paul. Yeah. In their temples, Mm -hmm. you know. It, it, yeah, there's no right. limits on that. There's no set apartness. It reminds me of so Les Landfree. He made a documentary a couple years back, Spirit and Truth. And at the beginning of that, it shows a church, and on stage, they're all dressed up like Star Wars characters, and they're reenacting Star Wars. And I mean, that would that would tie into that. You know, you can you can have this big Star Wars party, and then tie in. By the way, the gospel. <laughs> Yeah. It's like Star Wars, good versus evil. Ultimately, good's going to overcome. Everybody leaves happy, and God is not glorified in that. Right. Because we're not worshiping him. Right. And with that, I think there's been a lot of blurred lines as to the importance and the, I guess, holiness of gathering together in corporate worship on Sunday. And that's and so specifically, we're talking about on the Lord's Day. Right. We gather together yeah. in corporate worship. And so I think that those lines have become blurred in some sense as well. Yeah, but, Bethel, Elevate, all those different, Yeah, you know, I, I would see that more along the lines of this. Um, mm. All right, so I think that the experiential principle came out of the nominative principle. Right. So let's look at that. Nominative principle, why are we against that? So th- this was uh, kind of comes from Luther in the Reformation, it's permitted unless forbidden in Scripture. Why is that bad or wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, because then you've left it up to still sinful people determining what is forbidden and what's not forbidden, right? But like some of the stuff that you could say with the experiential principle would also apply to this and that, well, it doesn't forbid us from acting out Star Wars on the stage. Right. So then at that point, it comes down to the discretion of whoever the pastor is or whoever the church leader is. And, and the culture of that time. And the culture of that time, right. Then you've got the same kind of problem in that what's left as the determining factor in how we worship the Lord is man. Right. And I think that what happened was you had a certain time in, in culture where you had strict rules on worship that were outside of the Bible, that were applied to things like worship and things like that. Okay. Which then gave birth to the experimental principle where we said, well, we're just going to forget about it and we're just going to do whatever we want to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I would say nominative is probably the most widely used principle in the American church today. If you just mm-hmm. church for church, if you were to take a, a percentage, I would say it's probably got the highest percent. And a lot of these are, especially in the music, you know, when you right. come to, you go to church and, and there's a big, praise band and it's more of a concert type feel or there's a 40 minute set list for the songs and then there's a, a 20 or 30 minutes time for the preaching of God's word right. just in in the way that they've structured the worship service for the day and so would we say then that all of these churches that are doing this uh the nominative principle would we say that they're wrong yeah i mean i would adhere to the regulative principle not the nominative principle so in that in that sense yes but at the same time, I do think that there are levels to that in a way. What do you mean? Like like Dante's Inferno? <laughs> yeah. The different levels of yeah. the, <laughs> equal, yeah. the different levels of the nominative principle. <laughs> right, right. No. Um, 
I mean, there are there are churches that the Lord is still moving in. There are churches that the Lord is still working in and working through. But I would say that it would be in spite of their practice of the normative principle and not necessarily because of it. Okay. But then there are other churches that have gone so far down the road that it's just... Do you think... So if we're saying nominative principle, the church and the culture decide what is acceptable. If we're doing that, can that in the long run the health of the church. Is that beneficial to that church or is it harming the church? I'd say it's harming it. Okay. So mm-hmm. regulative principle, what is the case? So you would say that you adhere to regulative principle. Right. All right. So would I. So let's make a case for the regulative principle of worship. You want to do that? Sure. All right. To start off though, I'm going to pull from the London Baptist Confession, question seven. It says, what do the scriptures teach? And the answer is the scriptures mainly teach what man is to believe about God and what duty God requires of man. So I kind of think that helps set the context for the way that we're going to go about answering this. Right. Um, The scriptures teach what we're to believe about God and what duties God requires of man. Let's lay out a case for the regulative principle of worship. Well, first and foremost, I mean, I think with everything, we should be seeking out what the scripture has to say about it, because then ultimately what we're believing and what we're trusting in are not the words of man, but the words of the Lord. Okay. I think that if we exclude worship from that, we're making a mistake. So what verse in the Bible says that we should adhere to the regulative principle of worship? Well, and no, I doesn't say that exactly, oh, okay. <laughs> but there is a I have a passage here that does kind of point to the idea that the regulative principle itself and what it's saying is true and and biblical. So John 4, verses 21 through 24, this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus himself, I mean, these is the words of Christ himself. And he's saying to her that the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay. okay. I mean, that's really a command right there. You know, mm-hmm. if we are truly worshipers of the Lord then we worship in spirit and in truth. In that is Jesus, he's commanding us to worship in truth. That means that there is truth. <laughs> right. That means that there is clear and comprehensive truth because otherwise I don't think that he'd be commanding us to worship in truth if there wasn't any truth already available to us. You know what I mean? Right. Already there. Yeah. That and he's I, laid out. I'm going to go back to Old Testament as well. So Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. We've got Nadab and Abihu who are offering this unauthorized or strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And then he consumes them with fire. I would also pull from Exodus 20, 4 and 5, second commandment. And I would I would argue that the nominative principle of worship leads to us breaking this commandment because what it's saying here is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the father on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And so I would say that when we're allowing a church and the culture to define what is acceptable in when we gather to worship the Lord. A lot of these churches today, musical style is preference and how people feel and what they get from it and all of that stuff. We've taken worship, which is going back to our definition, it's the actions we take to glorify God, and we've made worship about us. Mm. How do I feel what are my preferences? What is important to me? Whether it's a style, whether it's I like the experience that I had and this all, all this other stuff. It takes me back to Isaiah where God or says... The charisma of the worship leader. Right. Yeah. Um, or the charisma of the pastor right. to entertain me. Mm-hmm. And is he telling good stories? And is he making it an entertaining experience? Mm-hmm. You know, but that's not the purpose of worship. It's not us. The purpose is to glorify God through the teaching and preaching of his word, through the singing of songs and hymns and spiritual songs, through the gathering of the saints together to edify one another, to look more like Christ and not look more like the world around us. You know, when my whole worship experience becomes about me, then I've exactly done what you talked about with the calf, Mm -hmm. you know? So the problem with the calf was uh, Moses is on the mountain. They're sure that he's dead. So they all get together, they're golden, they make this calf, and then Aaron steps in and goes, hey, let's, we're going to worship God through this calf. And then God was furious because he's not limited to that object. So Aaron's trying to redeem the false worship by saying, let's take this false worship and then let's attribute it to God. Mm-hmm. Um, God is strong like an ox. He is or a bull. He is powerful. He is all this stuff. But God is so much more right. than all of that. And he can't be limited to the definition that we want to give or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So God's not limited to a style of music. God's not limited to being entertaining in our sermons. God's not limited to all of this stuff. He doesn't need all of that to be glorified. He needs to be glorified because of who and what he is, not because of these things that we're trying to attribute. I think that there's a lot of self-worship going on in churches where the understanding is more nominative principle of worship because we want to entertain. We want to have the the dog and pony show. You know, we mm-hmm. want the church to be this elaborate festival or this great experience. We want when the people come in, there's going to be hot coffee and donuts waiting on them. And then they're going to sit down and they're going to go to this concert for 40 minutes. And then they're going to hear a 20 minute sermon that's going to make them laugh and make them think and challenge them and then send them out happy. You know, right. The whole experience is planned around the individual and none of it is given thought to giving glory to God. Right. My case for the regulative principle is that is it's that when we're gathering on the Lord's day, the purpose is to worship God and he doesn't want this strange fire. He doesn't want us to bring in our ideas on how to make it better. He's commanded us what to do. And so just like with Nadab and Abihu, they bring in this fire that was not commanded and God doesn't need that. Right. The corporate gathering of the saints is not the time to try out these great techniques to grow the church numerically right. by people coming in and saying, hey, that's cool. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be about worshiping the Lord together and allowing him to be lifted up and draw all men unto himself. You right. Know? We've turned it into an outreach event as opposed to allowing the Lord to do that. Right. Well, and we've seen what's working and popular and what people are drawn to. And hey, tons of people like concerts. So let's make our music sound like a concert and then trick them into worshiping the Lord through that. 
you mm-hmm. know. But John, you read that. We worship in spirit and truth. One of the things that uh, you kind of brought this up, but it really sticks out to me is if we're called to worship in spirit and we're called to worship in truth, then why are we commanded to also worship in truth if God has not already told us how he desires to be worshiped? Right. If he hasn't already commanded us how to worship him, then he would just say worship in spirit. Right. But worshiping in truth means exactly what you said earlier, that he's already showed us the way in which he desires to be worshiped. And now the command is to worship me in the truth of what I've already commanded you on how to do. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Basically, we are to offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For what reason? Because our God is an all-consuming fire. That takes us back to Nadab and Abihu. God is an all-consuming fire. Therefore, we need to offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe because of who he is. Those are some passages. There's a lot more. It's not an exhaustive list, but what are the elements of worship on the Lord's day? Yeah. What are some some things? So going back to what we read as our introduction passage. So Colossians 3, 16, 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is a, well, and then as I read the rest of it, hold on a second. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Everything, though, is centered around the word of the Lord, centered around the words of Christ. Right. When do we experience the words of Christ the most? Or when do we hear them the most? Well, it's from the preaching and the teaching of the words of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we can, we can. What about the reading of scripture? And the reading of scripture. Yeah. Well, yeah. that most. <laughs> and then, then the preaching of the word and teaching. But, and then also, I mean, the songs as well. But I think that what we've done is we've, we've taken the songs and we've put them above reading the scripture. We've put them above teaching. Well, and I think that like goes that. back to nominative principle. Right. I think that we've put that above because that's entertaining. Right. And people get tied down in a, a biblical liturgy, the way that they structure the service. If there's this reading of scripture and then praying and then there's teaching and reading and praying, well, that's boring for people. They're not going to want to come to that. So mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's have a concert that will draw the people and then we'll squeeze in 15, 20 minutes of preaching right. once we've got them here. Yeah. And really, one kind of goes to another in a sense of like, you've read the scriptures. Now you can, you can discuss the scriptures. You can teach them. You can preach them. And then you sing about them. You rejoice in them. Right. Right. So laying out the elements. Right. Of and the elements then. as well. So, I was trying to figure. <laughs> so you've got, you got the reading of the word. You've got the teaching and preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. You've got baptism. You've got partaking in the Lord's Supper. And then uh, singing unto the Lord. Right. So all of these elements have all been commanded and taught to us in Scripture. Mm. The Bible, it tells us very clearly to read the Word. The Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. My, uh, thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so there's tons of biblical support on reading the Word and how it, it should constantly be something that we're meditating on. Right. There should be this hunger for the word and all of that. So when we gather together corporately, there should be this public declaration of God's word. Then the the teaching and preaching of God's word. God is very specific on what a pastor is to teach and preach on. Uh, I, I think one of the overflows of the regulative principle of worship is an exegetical teaching and preaching of God's word from the pulpit mm-hmm. that we're, we're systematically expounding on God's word and it doesn't become about 
my ideas and me coming up with topics and me coming up with things like that and trying to weave that together using different passages, but just preaching on this is what God's word says to his people. This is what he's saying. And just preaching through God's word. I think that that is one of the things that comes from this regulative principle of worship. Baptizing, the when we gather together, we see baptism as a part of this element of worship where people who have died to sin and died to their flesh are buried with Christ and raised to life in a newness um, with him. And, and then partaking of the Lord's Supper together, where we gather together to remember the Lord and remember what he did for us on the cross, mm-hmm. that the word of God became flesh. He dwelt among us and he perfectly fulfilled God's law. He is the new Adam. He succeeded in every area that Adam failed. And then he took the full punishment. He drank the full cup of God's wrath and he has atoned for our sins, those who put their faith in him. And then the last one is we sing unto the Lord. It's interesting that all of these things, uh, praying, did I say praying? Praying as well. I didn't have that one on my list. And then praying, we pray together, you know, and we see how we should pray. We see how we should, how we should baptize. We see how we partake of the Lord's Supper, how to sing unto the Lord, how to teach and preach the word, how to read the word. This is all commandments in scripture for God's people when we gather together to worship him. Mm -hmm. My biggest thing is if they're all commanded to us, then on the Lord's day, it should all be about him. And we should worship him, not as we think he needs to be worshiped, like Nadab and Abihu, but as he has commanded and desires to be worshiped. Right. You know, that's why I like Isaiah, where he says, what are the multitude of your sacrifices? It's an abomination before me. It's all that you're doing and, and attempting to, to worship me is like filthy rags because they're not worshiping him the way he desires to be worshiped. Yeah. All, all that they're doing is this detestable offense before him while they're thinking that they're doing this great thing because they're not worshiping how he desires. I, I think if we quit trying to be elaborate with our services from an evangelical evangelistic perspective, mm-hmm. um, what can we do to draw in a crowd? What can we do to make this more appealing to people? What can we do to do all of that stuff? The whole focus of why we're gathering together on the Lord's day is first and foremost because he's commanded it. Right. You know, first table of the law that remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. One day is set aside for the Lord. This is his day and it's set aside to be unlike all the other days. And we gather together, we worship him in spirit and in truth. And that spirit of worship he's commanded, but the truth of how to worship him, he's also commanded. Right. You know, I think going back to Reformation in the American church, uh, I, I think a, a better understanding of what the regulative principle of worship is and a, a stronger connection to worship God as he desires to be worshiped will be very fruitful for the American church. Like I said, the, the nominative principle of the, the church and the culture is going to decide the best way to structure the service and to worship the Lord, the things that we do when we're gathered together to bring him glory. I think that ultimately 
that is not helpful. It becomes this Burger King worship, Mm -hmm. you know? We're making the worship experience all about the person, and ultimately, we lose sight of Christ in the process. Right, and I think what sticks out to me a lot, too, is the fact that when we've come to a place today where when someone thinks of worship, a lot of times they think about music and that's it. Right, praise Um, and worship. Right, praise and worship. They separate preaching of the word from worship and they separate, they really even sometimes separate like baptism from worship and just reading the Bible from worship. A lot of people have come to a place where we only see music as worship. Yeah, And so that's one of the really important parts of the regular principle too, is the fact that, and, and, what scripture says is that all is all exactly. worship. And so um, it all matters. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's really uh, part of the reason why we see such a need for biblical study. And I think that's know? why we were excited to do this episode. To right. Kind of bring awareness to the regulative principle of worship. <laughs> right. You know, because yeah. truthfully, we don't want to, somebody thinking, okay, we're going to, we're going to sing this 40-minute set list, and we're going to worship God, and then we're going to hear the preaching of the Word. From the moment we gather together until we leave, all the things that we're doing is worshiping the Lord. It should Mm be. We just, we want to get people back to what are we doing? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Are we doing it because that's how our church has always done it, or are we doing because this is what God's Word says? Right. Let's make this a little bit more practical. What do you think it would look like? What would be different about a church that is understanding worship through the regulative principle as opposed to the nominative or the other one? Well, I think that it would make it would make the worship leader's job easier sometimes <laughs> okay. because, because ultimately what it would do is it would take the personal taste out of the equation. Okay. Now, there's some nuance to that because what you don't want to do is just go with your own personal taste as a worship leader and say, well, that's the way that we're going to do it. We're adhering to the regular principle. So I'm the worship leader. Your opinion as a congregation doesn't matter. (laughs) That's not what we want to do. But I think that in churches, there's a lot of toil. There's a lot of arguing. There's, there are some church splits over the type of music that we sing. Let me ask you this. Do you think a church that has a contemporary service and then a traditional service, would that be in line with the regulative principle of worship? Mm. That's an interesting question. I think practically, I've never seen that work because what that does is it creates two churches, essentially. So you've got... No, it wouldn't actually because what you're doing then is you're splitting your congregation based on their own personal preferences. On style. Right. Right. So no, I would say that it's not. So if if we understand worship... Are the things we do to glorify God. Right. Where does style fall into that? I would say that it doesn't fall into it. It doesn't. Yeah. I would agree. If worship is about the Lord, then our preferences are irrelevant. So I understand that there are different styles of music, but ultimately we can worship the Lord in spirit and truth through all of those styles. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's more about the truth of what's being said, the truth of what's being sung, the truth of what's being read, the truth of what's being prayed. Right. All of that is regulated through Scripture on how to do all of that. It it's actually unifies people right. under Christ, under His Word, because our preferences are irrelevant right. to that. Right. Yeah, I mean, and again, back in Colossians, it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Even the songs that we sing, we need to really check the lyrics. We need to pay attention to what it is that we're singing. We don't need to just see, sing something because it's an old, good song or it's got a catchy melody or what, whatever. Right. It At the end of the day, it's the words that matter. 
Yeah. Because those are the things that we are rejoicing over. A lot of people think that we're rejoicing over the music itself. We're rejoicing over the gift of music to us by God, given to us by God. But really, it's the words in the song that we're singing that to we're the singing Lord. to the Lord. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if the songs that we're singing are in direct, sometimes in direct opposition to what the Lord actually has either done or any of the truths that he's given us. Well, right. What are you doing? You're not, you're well, not I, I think a lot of songs today focuses on us and what right. God's done for us. And yeah. he's done this and he's done that for me. And uh, in, a, in a strange way, that song is glorifying ourselves mm-hmm. because, hey, look at all that God's done for me mm-hmm. instead of pointing back to him. Like we should be mirrors of Christ. Yeah. Let's focus solely on who God is and what he's done mm-hmm. uh, for me becomes irrelevant well and, you know? and, and i think it also comes down to like not irrelevant but well well yeah because like you know the gospel itself is something that's done i mean it's good news for us right, right? so there is rejoicing in that yeah but i think that when it gets down to okay this is how i fight my battles type stuff <laughs> well and even the rejoicing know, in the it, gospel is not hey let's everybody be happy for me that i'm saved but right it's, it's, it's pointing back to Look what Christ has done. Yeah. All glory be to Christ because he's done this mm-hmm. in me. And and so I think, too, if we're looking at the regulative principle and how it would affect churches, uh, I, I think music is one big way that it would affect churches. Then I also think all of these things, it, it affects us in all of it. Like I've already said for the preaching of God's word, I think there's a bigger emphasis on exegetical preaching and and really digging into God's word. There's also not the pressures to be entertaining as a pastor. Pastor's not a motivational speaker. You know, we're not there to just pump people up, but we're there to proclaim the glory and the truth of God's word. And we're seed sowers, and he's taking that seed, and he's producing fruit. We don't want to be just like this monotone, boring guy. But if if you were, the Lord could still use that right. in the the proclamation of His word. Yeah. So it doesn't become about the pastor, and then I think you lose that culture of wow, this guy, and everybody's following this guy. The pastor is the under shepherd to Christ. The mm-hmm. pastor should be pointing people to Christ, not building this cult following around him. Right. But then I also think it it changes our understanding and thoughts on baptism. It's not just we need these numbers. We got to reach this quota of baptisms. But but we understand what that actually means and what it represents. And then the Lord's Supper. I think there's a, a transition in in what we're doing with the Lord's Supper. I think it would be done more frequently. Mm-hmm. If we have this biblical understanding that what God's telling us in his word. It's not just a supplement to Easter or Christmas. Yeah. Or just whenever it's done, it's just like big formal thing. Mm-hmm. But it's it's God's people gathering together, fellowshipping with one another for the purpose of remembering what Christ has done for us. Yeah. You know, if I was going to implement this, if I had a church and I was going to implement this, I would probably do it once a month on a Sunday night and the people would gather together and we would have like a potluck type mm-hmm. thing and the people are fellowshipping together we're encouraging one another we're uplifting one another and then after the fellowship we would come together for the lord's supper and in that then that moment is specifically for us remembering what christ has done for us the yeah. the body of christ that was broken for us the blood that was shed for us the atonement that happened through christ's death on the cross you have this it's it's done once a month and it's just pulling the people back to refocus on Christ. And it's also showing 
who is the church. Right. It's the believers. It's not just... It's not the building. You know, right. Yeah. It's not the building, but it's not just so-and-so. They've been coming in every so often. This is set aside for God's people. We have those that are local members of this body of Christ, remembering Christ and his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. Uh, and then prayer. It, it The reading of God's word, it just... It completely changes the liturgy of a church, the way that the service is structured. You're going to have a lot more reading of scripture throughout the service. You're going to have specific times of prayer throughout the service, praying for different things, intercessory prayer and praying for the nation, praying for this, praying for that. Like there's set aside things that you're going to spend a lot more time focusing on. And then there's passages that are going to be read. And I just think it takes the shift off of what's going to draw more people and it puts the shift on how has God required to be worshiped and what can we do to better worship him? Right. What, what we're not saying, and, and, and it's coming from a worship leader. As a worship leader, we're not to just say, okay, well, if that's the case, then I'm not going to strive to be a better worship leader. You know what I mean? Okay. Or, as, or as a pastor, you know, I'm not going to strive to be a better pastor. But that's, from, that's, in a, that's a different, there's are different passages of scriptures that relate to that. Like if you're a worship leader, that's your craft. Right. right? Well, and I think it I think it ties in perfectly though because n- it changes what kind of better pastor well, worship yeah. leader we're going to be. Right. Now, I'm not here specifically to please people, mm-hmm. but I'm here to please the Lord. Right. And so I think that's even harder. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. there it, it it's it's a it's a higher uh more in-depth thing that we're striving for because mm-hmm. to please people I just find what's popular. Right. And I try to do that well. So with that, you got all kinds of stuff. I could just take this and that from all these guys that are doing it well and, you know, present that to people. Right. But if we're going to please the Lord, it takes us spending time with him. Mm -hmm. So whatever your role in leadership in the church is, whether you're an elder, a lay elder, a deacon, whatever you're doing in the church, just a faithful member, all of us are gathered together to glorify God. Right. And to do that well, it takes us spending time with him throughout the week. It takes us repenting of sin. It takes us confessing Christ. It takes us not just singing words to a song, but being able to sing them from our heart. Right. That God, this is my heart to you. So many songs, we we sing them because we know them and we've always sung them. But how often do we actually think about, God, I am declaring this truth to you. Am I worshiping in truth or am I a liar? Yeah. You know? So speaking of that, looking at the regulative principle, would you say that you are an exclusive psalmist? I would not. So within regulative principle, you've got the movement that because God has told us how to worship him, he's told us how to read the word. He's told us how to preach the word. He's told us how to baptize, how to partake of the Lord's Supper. He's also given us a great book of songs in the book of Psalms, mm-hmm. right? And, and other places in scripture. So an exclusive psalmist would say that only the songs that can be sung on the Lord's day are from the Bible. Right. So you would hold to that or no? I would not. Okay. So you are regulative, nominative, principle guy. Not necessarily. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All um, right. So, uh, explain to me why you come to where you're at. Um, 
Well, because, I mean, Colossians 3.16 says, let the words of God, you know, I, I keep going back to it because it's really important for me anyways, but says, let the words of Christ dwell richly within you. Now, if I take some scripture from, I'm going through Ephesians. Mm -hmm. So let's say Made Alive, for example. Made Alive is a song by citizens, okay? Um, we were once dead in our sins and trespasses. Well, we have made it, been made alive through Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not in the Psalms. You know what I mean? That's in Ephesians. But that doesn't mean that it's not the words of Christ because all of scriptures breathe out through God. So you would say that every song that Citizen has made is breathed out by God? Well, not necessarily. Oh. It, if you can, t so what I like to do as a worship leader is is whatever songs we're singing, we have a so at our church we have a hymnal and it's a church hymnal and it's got like five hundred songs in it. And what I do with all the songs that we do is read the words, just read them. Don't even don't even put a melody to them. Just read them. Okay. And if those align with scripture, then we move forward. If they don't, then that song's, we're not singing it. Okay. So that's kind of my filtering process. And again, I say my as if it's up to me, but <laughs> as a non-exclusive psalmist, that's what I think ought to be done. All right. So how is what you're doing different than the nominative principle where the church and the culture decide what songs are acceptable? Because it's it's the scripture still so okay. if if a song is in contrast to what the scriptures say then i'm and in a sense it is still kind of me filtering it but at the end of the day i mean there's always a little bit of that right you well know? and and i would say this the pastor is preaching god's word but everything that he says is not going to be scripture right, right? he's gonna ex expound on that he's gonna take god's word and feed it to his flock right mm -hmm. um and so i would say in in music it's the same or in prayer in prayer god says when you pray do not be like this but do this when you pray do this don't do that right in the preaching of god's word there's you know this is what you've got to do you have authority in as much as what you're saying aligns with god's word right uh the church surrenders to the authority of a pastor but if he starts getting outside of what God's word speaks on, he loses authority, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's the same thing in music. God has given us his word. We understand the truth of God's word, just like praying. If somebody's praying in church, they're not just reciting uh, a prayer from scripture, but they're praying from their heart to mm -hmm. the Lord. But that's going to it's gonna align with what God has said. Here's how you pray. You don't pray like this. You do pray like that. I, I would say worship is the same. God has taught us. This is how you worship me through song. These are what the songs look like. You can use these, but if it becomes the focus off of God, mm -hmm. if if it, the worship in that song, the words that are being sung to the Lord are glorifying anything else, then it has no place in the church. Right, yeah. And so I would I would agree. I would be a, a regulative principle guy that does not hold to exclusive psalmody. I think there's a lot of songs that don't need to be sung in the church. But I think if like some of these hymns and some of these songs that are completely theologically saturated and the glory is being brought to the Lord, then I think that that's acceptable. Right. And that. All right. Well, that's a a good stopping point. I think we've yeah. uh, been here for over an hour today, so we'll we'll continue to dive into worship and different aspects of it in future podcasts. If you guys are enjoying this, let us know. Uh, if you have questions, follow us on Facebook, like we said. Shoot us a message. We'd love to talk to you about it. And uh, if you have suggestions, you can let us know there too. So yeah. 
We hope that you guys have a good week. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day, and we will see you next week.